Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today, at least in this portion, are John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and myself, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Today's episode, this week's episode of the podcast is a unique one. Uh, and Jimmy Bueller will be featured in much of that recording that you'll be listening to. Jimmy is the pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota. And before we get to teeing up what you're going to hear from us today, John has a very important update. This is not really a pro-con. This is kind of a cultural oh, update. Oh, it's definitely at a, a minimum. At a minimum, we can say something, say, excuse me, that it's something that John is quite excited about. So, <laughs> brother, talk celebrate rejoice yes for those of you that don't know i was born and raised in sunny california and when i was a small small child i joined the blues crew which for those of you that don't know that's uh, a program that i don't even know exists anymore for the dodgers and so i was Mm. a massive dodger fan oral hookshizer was my hero and um you know, haven't really seen the Dodgers win since 1988 was the last time that they won the World Series. Kurt and Gibson, man. to be complete, yeah, that was an amazing. To be, uh, to be completely honest, I haven't really followed baseball since high school and even college, just because of what happens when you get married and seminary and all that kind of stuff. But when I saw the Dodgers were doing really well and they made it to the World Series, um, I started. I watched them beat the Braves, and then I did watch the entire World Series. And uh, I have to say, it was quite enjoyable to announce that the Los Doyers are world champions. Amen. Praise, praise be to whatever. I don't know. Praise I don't even know how you can be. make that. I don't even know how you make that spiritual. But I am happy as a Dodger fan. So go Los Doyers. And if you don't know why it's so, Los Doyers, it's, so, it's, I guess you have to look at <laughs> it. The Doyers. So you're not saying Doyers. that the Doyers are the Lord's team? You're not saying that? You're nah, not going to go so far as saying that? Okay. Nah, Just trying to be not clear. not going to say that. Not going to say that, but can I make a was, brief comment was, about that one. that whole thing with sports? So I used yeah. to think this in high school and college playing ball, um, when we would like pray and stuff before games, and mm-hmm. like position coaches would pray and all this stuff. Sometimes the way guys would pray, I in my own mind would be thinking like, do we assume that there are just like no Christians on the other team? Like I <laughs> I don't understand what we're doing here because like do we think that the Lord is somehow like uniquely with us like the way He was with Israel or something? Like that we're going to go out here on the gridiron and just absolutely like smash the other team because God is with us. I I don't understand. Anyway, that's just one comment about that. I did appreciate. I think it's fine for us to pray for safety, to pray for various things. Yeah. Yeah. My football coach, his prayer was always that we'd be honoring in our actions and deeds. And that was it. It was like, hey, look, uh, we just pray that both teams are honoring and actions in their deeds and that we would would demonstrate love. Compete well, play the game well. You know, people would remain safe. All that's great. That's right. That you know that even yeah. the fans and attendants would enjoy themselves. I mean, all that's cool. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know that God's yeah. pulling for one team or another. Though I do Sports believe He has ordained prayer, all man. things since before the world began. So there that yeah. is. Now let's pivot. John. I do think it's let's, a sin. I do think it's this. a sin to use David, though. I mean, I think that should never oh be gosh. allowed to be used ever again. Okay. Like I said, we're going to pivot before this spirals even more <laughs> out of control. So this week is is a special treat, I think, for. For our yeah. listeners, uh, this is uh-huh. content that our members have already had access to or 
people have had access to that have have donated and have in one sense, uh, I guess in that way, gained access to the content. I'm not quite sure the right language to say, and I'm fumbling at my words. So they help this fund it. today yeah. is an, is another one of the sessions from the the teaching series that we did on covenant theology. So if you're not familiar with that whole teaching series, we did five sessions on covenant theology from a 1689 Federalist perspective. And you can find that whole teaching series on our website over at theocast.org. And the whole teaching series can be yours for a donation of any amount. Am I correct in saying that, John? Right. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And yeah, please donate and support this ministry so that this message of rest in Christ can be spread to as many people as possible. So this, this week we are releasing session number four of those five sessions. And this is on the covenant of grace in the Old Testament. And again, this is from a, a 1689 Federalist perspective of covenant theology. So what we do in this episode is essentially trace the promise of the covenant of grace all the way from Genesis 3.15 through the end of the book of Malachi. And this was, John, a, a spirited, joyful, exuberant, just great conversation that I know the three of us, yeah. you, myself, and Jimmy— we enjoyed doing it. And at the end of it, we were just like, oh my gosh, like what a worshipful experience that was <laughs> as we thought Good. about, you know, the promised seed, you know, of Eve, the promised seed of Abraham, you know, the one through whom, like, who's it, who is he and when's he coming and, and how is it that God's going to accomplish redemption? And we see how that unfolds by farther steps from the promise made in Genesis 3.15 through, you know, the covenant God makes with Abraham, the covenant God makes with Moses, the covenant God makes with David. Uh, we see all that unfold as we are making our way toward the arrival of Christ in the New Testament. So I highly commend this to people. I, I hope it's encouraging. I hope it's clarifying. And if you've got questions about covenant theology, really consider purchasing, you know, donating and, and getting access to those five teaching sessions. I think you'll find it accessible, but yet robust enough that you'll you'll really be introduced to the topic. Yeah. No, that's good, Justin. And we do provide, for those that are able to get the series, we do provide a glossary where there's an outline of each session. Yeah, key we terms, give you all that. Key terms, all of the verses that we use. And then very soon, as yeah, soon awesome. as we can raise enough money, we're going to provide an entire book that goes with it, along with a study guide for small groups and sure. churches. So we're pretty excited about it. I will tell you that this, if uh, if you if you like... Reformed theology, if you like Calvinism, if this is new for you. And I remember the first time I heard covenant theology, I really didn't know what it meant all other than I knew I didn't believe in it and, and it was bad or, or that it means you baptize babies. That's all I knew covenant theology mm -hmm. meant or that, that you're an all millennialist, meaning that you're not a pre, I mean, there was just all of these horrible preconceived ideas. What we're trying to help you understand is that, that, the covenant theology, understanding how the purpose of the Bible, understanding how God communicates, interacts, and fulfills his promises of salvation is through this covenant theology. And I, I, can, I can promise you, if you don't know this, or even if you do, you'll be encouraged because you'll see the beautiful design of God's grace Amen. and how it just flows through the Old Testament, giving you assurance and hope and clarity in the midst of sin and chaos. God's Amen. faithfulness is completely unfolding. And that's the design of the Bible. And if you don't see God's word that way, stay tuned. I think you'll be encouraged. Yeah, word. I, last couple of comments, man. Um, Reformed theology is covenant theology. Mm -hmm. I mean, so... To, historically speaking, 
to understand yourself to be reformed theologically would mean that you were covenantal in your understanding of scripture. Mm -hmm. And two of the things that we talk about a ton here on Theocast uh, that are inextricably linked to covenant theology, one is the redemptive historical framework of scripture. Um, That and covenant theology go together. But then even more importantly, in terms of the foundation of this ministry, the sufficiency of Christ and the rest that is ours in him is absolutely inextricably tethered to and linked to covenant theology and an understanding of, of the Bible in that way, you know, as scripture presents itself on its own terms. And so if, if rest in Christ and a redemptive historical framework of the Bible have been helpful to you, then dive deeply into covenant theology because it will only aid you in, in your life, I think, but it will also, it will deepen your understanding of these things. So yeah, we commend it to you and we hope it's helpful. One last thing for our members. Uh, One of the things that we are offering to you as well is we'll be doing week three of a book study that Justin and I have been holding for pastors for around the world. So uh, we offered this freely to these pastors who wanted to learn more about covenant theology. So we did a small book review by Sam Renahan's book, The Mystery of Christ. And that third session, which is about an going to be about an hour, hour and a half long, will be available on our website. So go to theocast.org slash members. And you can get all three sessions that are available there. We encourage you to get the book and go along with us. And one more thing. No, I'm just kidding. We've done that enough. Enjoy the episode. In this section, we are going to be covering the covenant of grace. And I can tell you, we are excited. We are trying to figure out how to get everything we want to say into such a small time. So, because this is an introduction, we're not going to give you an exhaustive view of this. So let's jump right in. We're trying not to just fire hose everybody down. (laughs) We talk about this all of the time, and so we are going to do our best to keep this as an introduction. As we've done with the Covenant of Works, we're going to do again. The Covenant of Grace is actually different. It's an Mm -hmm. unconditional covenant, meaning that if we look at the two parties involved, we have God and us, the elect people of God, and and then the one acting is God, and all of the conditions are placed upon God. He will do this. He is the one who has all of the conditions that must be met, which we will get into. And then for us, the reason why it's unconditional, the second party members, is that there's nothing placed on us. This is to why do. to do. Right. This is why we use the language of grace. Uh, just in case you may not, um, sometimes people confuse mercy and grace. Mercy is to not receive what you deserve, and grace is to receive that which you don't deserve. So when we talk about the covenant of grace, God is making this promise. He's putting conditions upon himself, and we are the recipients of it. And what that is, is we are going to receive forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ, and we're going to receive the righteousness or the obedience of Jesus Christ. And all of that comes to us by grace, through faith alone. So that's what we'd say is a quick definition and an overview of the covenant of grace. In particular, in the covenant of grace, when we talk about what it is that we are receiving, we are receiving the merits of Christ. He has satisfied for our sin. He's atoned for it. He has provided us positively with righteousness. And everything that is his is ours. And that includes an inheritance of of a new creation, and we will be a part of his people forever in that sense. It, it might be uh, good right now, too, to explain the term covenant of grace even further in that someone may ask legitimately, like, why do you guys call it the covenant of grace? Why don't you just call it the, the new covenant or the old covenant? Why, why do you use this language? Well, a couple of thoughts here. One, 
the covenant of grace is a helpful term in that it makes very clear the contrast of grace and works that we see found throughout the New Testament. But one other thought here, too, is that the covenant of grace is promised before the new covenant comes. And so it's helpful for us because there is one covenant of grace in all of Scripture, right, through which all of God's people from all time are saved, under which all of God's people of all time are saved, right? And so it's, it's useful to use this covenant language, the covenant of grace, because it, it helps us to explain that united one plan of salvation that God has always had. Right. So old and new people, Old Testament right. and New Testament people are saved by the same covenant. Exactly. They're okay. trusting in the promises of God realized in Messiah. Right, which we'll explain. Which we'll explain further. Yeah. Yeah. So as any good Bible student or theology student will go, we, I think, need to explain or show where this covenant of grace is revealed in Scripture, taught about in right. Scripture. And where we need to begin, I think, is in Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. In That's Specifically, right. Genesis 3, verse 15, where what we see is what is known historically as the proto-euangelion, mm-hmm. or the first gospel. Right. It is the announcement or the promise yes. that is the made revelation. To, that's right. That is made right. to Adam and Eve that though the serpent has, quote, won the battle that day, he will ultimately not win the war. Yes. That there will come one from the line of Eve that will crush the head of the serpent. That's yes. right. Right. And so, in essence, this contrasts it with the covenant of works that there will come someone from the line of the woman. There will come someone who will do this for his people. And so I think that's that's the first place to go. And this kind of really kicks off this whole idea that we see throughout the Old Testament. We've mentioned this before in previous sessions of this idea of types and shadows. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good, Jimmy. Uh, before we even start talking more specifically about types and shadows, for the sake of clarity, we, we want to be really precise in how we understand the covenant of grace. We understand that the covenant of grace is promised and revealed beginning in Genesis 3.15, as Jimmy just stated, and then it is continued to be revealed through farther steps throughout the rest of the Old Testament, and then the, the covenant of grace proper is established and accomplished through Christ in the new covenant. Hmm. So it's promised and revealed in the Old Testament beginning in Genesis 3.15. Through farther steps, it becomes more clear. It's increasingly clear. You know, as we get into, we're going to talk about this more in a minute, as we get to Abraham and Moses and David, it becomes more clear until finally we get to Christ. That's right. And the covenant of grace is established and accomplished through him in the new covenant. That's right. Right. Yeah, so that language of promise becomes really important. So just to even kind of start the role and, and, and moving it forward, in this promise to Adam and Eve, in, in the Old Testament, you will always hear the seed of, the seed of the, and it's always in reference to the man, the seed of the man. What's interesting is that in this promise that God gives Eve, he does not say the seed of Adam, because if it was, that means that the, the sin of Adam would be passed down and he couldn't be the replacement. He, he would have to pay for his own sin, right? right? So he says something very fascinating. He says the, the seed of Eve, right, it will right. be the, the child of Eve, which, you know, jump to Luke 2, you have a virgin right. who it comes and says the spirit will come yeah. and bring that seed. Because I mean, the question just, is, well, who's the father going to be? Exactly. Yeah. So you begin to already have, I mean, you're, 
you're seeing a connection now between the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace. Exactly. Right? So the covenant of redemption says God will come and save his people. And then you see this little tiny promise. It's not there yet. The covenant of grace is not there. The actual covenant that saves people, it's not there yet, but it's promised to Eve, right? And then you have this big question. Well, how do we know which, like, how do we know which one? Right. right. Which one? Who is this promised seed? Right. And that's really what the rest of the Old Testament is getting us ready for. Right. Mm. And, and let, is, is bringing increasing amounts of clarity to right. that, that question. And there's drama in the story, too, because the, all these people start getting born. They're, I mean, they're, 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 the, the world is growing, and all of them have the rebellious nature of Adam. Yeah. Right. So it's clearly none of these people. And it gets so bad that God wipes out the earth but still keeps the promise. Because what did he say? It has to come through the line of Eve. So Noah is preserved. So now we know it's coming at least through Noah. Mm -hmm. And God said, I'm never going to destroy everyone. Otherwise, he would go back on his promise, right? When he's going to sustain the creation because the Redeemer's coming. That's right. I mean, yeah, the seed of Eve is coming. So I'm going to make sure that the, (sighs) the world into which that seed is going to be born is going to be sustained. That's I mean, right. that's the purpose of the Noahic covenant in right. that regard. So yeah. all the all those who believed the promise that came from Adam and Eve, which I'm sure they told their children, all those who believed that promise is, I mean, that when we say the first mission of the gospel, if they believed that, then it was accounted to them and they were saved, right? right? And we'll learn more about this as right. we get into the New Testament and, and Romans when he says that God passed over former sins Reenacting the covenant of grace. So back. shortly after Noah, we get to Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. And which so, is the next big, which is and huge, massive, big moment. milestone. I mean, it's like huge, huge moment. mile marker here. So beginning <laughs> yeah. in Genesis chapter twelve, we hear of a man. Initially, his name is Abram. God changes his name later to Abraham, and we'll just refer to him as Abraham throughout this time. Yep. Right. And I want to make one little interjection here before we go forward, because what we're about to explain to you is our perspective of yeah, the covenant of grace and our perspective of the covenant of of um, Abraham. And I will tell you, up to this point, if you were to take the confession, the Westminster Confession, the Savoy, if you, if you take Declaration, the Reformed Theology and Understanding Covenant Theology, with very small, maybe, adjustments on how things are said, we are in almost 100% agreement on yeah. covenant works, of covenant redemption, that there's two covenants, yeah, bicovenantalism, all yeah. of that. Where you're going to see a little bit, and this is where in the 1689 there's even some more broad language that would allow some variance here because during the time of it being formulated, there was some slight, uh, um, uh, there was, there was a full ex, there was a full for Baptist. There was a full, uh, commitment to understanding how the covenant new covenant works. Mm-hmm. So, but where you're going to see is us, there's going to be some differences in how we're going to explain the Abrahamic covenant and our view. If you're, want to know. It's a historic view called the 1689 Federalism view. That's the one. And it was the view that was held by the majority of those during the time of the confession being made. And this is also where you're going to see some some uh, change between us and the Presbyterian view. Sure. And you can make that comparison later. That's not really what this podcast is for. We want to give you an overview of what we would say the, the majority view of the 1689. Yeah. So before we go into Abraham, um, this is where we can pick up. Sure. So let's pick up with Abraham. Beginning in Genesis 12, uh, we see that God, he calls Abraham out and he makes a promise to him in Genesis chapter 12 that we would see 
as the promise of the covenant of grace. Yeah. Because Paul will even pick up on this in Galatians chapter 3 and say the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. And he And believed. he cites Genesis 12, 3. That's right. Right? He and believed and he was justified. That's Genesis 15. Yeah. Right. So there is the promise of the covenant of grace made to Abraham. And then there are other, there is a covenant formally made with him, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, in particular Genesis 17, where there is land promised to Abraham. He has promised that kings will come from him, from his line. And rulers. Rulers will come from him. Through kings. Right. And so it's, it's important that we see that God promises that these things will happen. I'm going to make sure that a nation comes from you, that rulers come from you, and that a land will be given to your offspring. Yeah, so you could say it's unconditional, it's unconditional in, that in, that way, sense. in that sense. Right. But then there is a conditional piece of this covenant of circumcision that's established in Genesis 17, where it's very clear that individuals may be cut off from the people of God through disobedience. That's right. If, if they are not circumcised, they are cut off. Mm-hmm. So there's an unconditional promise to the nation, land, rulers, a people, and there is a conditional promise to individuals right. underneath the covenant of circumcision. And alongside that, with Abraham, we see the promise of the covenant of grace that is unconditional. That's right. And it is to the elect, to the spiritual seed of Abraham. That's our understanding. Mm-hmm. So when he makes the promise, from you, from your seed, singular, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He's talking about Jesus. Right. So you're yeah. hearing that language of seed again, right? Yeah. Eve, it's protected in the Noahic. And now we're knowing, oh, now it's coming through Abraham through this nation. Yeah. And I think it's important. It's a, it's, you did a really good job there explaining the difference of the conditional and unconditional parts of it, that he is creating, and, and Abraham and this land is going to start becoming a type and a shadow, right? It so is. it's not the actual substance. It's not the actual covenant yet, but it is giving us a shadow. It's not the covenant of grace yet. It's a covenant of circumcision with Abraham that has conditions that the people must meet, but it's a shadow of that which is to come. Well, and even the fact, okay, Canaan has promised. Right. Well, when the covenant of grace comes, what what is Canaan a type of? It's the new heaven and the new earth, right? right. The land by which Hebrews says they were looking forward to. Right. Rulers will come from you, Abraham. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what is that a type of? It's a type of the great king named Jesus who's going right. to come. Yeah. It, we could we could do this for a while, but <laughs> right. It, well, and to that point, even in uh, later on, right before they go into Egypt, you are you are given through Judah, saying, "Through you, Judah, will come a king." And before that Genesis happens, forty nine. That's yeah. right. Before that happens, you're going to spend four hundred years in captivity, mm-hmm. and then then I'm going to redeem you out. And so you have these these little promises. And if you're reading your Bible. And you don't have this covenant, like you're you're anticipating what's going on. It's kind of a jumbled mess. It is. It is. A, that's how I always read it. It was a jumbled sure. mess. Yeah. But now you're understanding it's all connected. There is this great fine line that's connecting every single word, and it has a it has a purpose, and it's rolling along in its narrative. Yeah, and I think this is where it's helpful to understand and have this covenantal language and this covenantal framework, because what does it prevent us from doing? It prevents us from looking at Abraham as an end in himself, yeah, that word. Abraham is some great hero of the faith. Now, certainly, right, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right, which is a pattern that Paul sets up for us exactly. for redemption. Right, in the book of Romans. Right. right. However, uh, what's interesting to know, in you know, Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees, you know, what did they appeal to? We are children of Abraham. Right. And, and how does Jesus respond? Well, he says, 
I can turn rocks into children. Today. <laughs> so, so it, I, I think what's important to note is that ultimately, I think in Jesus' mind, in that moment, he's saying, essentially, fools, that's about me. That's mm-hmm. right. Like that promise was made to Abraham because ultimately I'm coming from Abraham. Yeah. Like Abraham looks to me. Word. Bro, John eight. All right. So <laughs> I, I mean, I, I apologize for this kind of, it's all, it's, it's all it's, about to start. Coming but it's unraveled. really, this, this is dope stuff. If I can say that on a podcast. Wow. All right. This is really good. So Jesus is on the scene and the Jew, like he's telling them that if you, if the son will set you, the son meaning himself will set you free. Yeah. And they're like, look, bro, the we're children, we're the children, seed, if you will. we're children of Abraham. Like, what do you say? Why do you say we will become free? And he even says to them, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, but yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Okay. You are the physical seed of Abraham. But then he goes on just a few verses later. This is John 8, 39. They, they again say the Jewish audience says, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing what Abraham did. Meaning if you were his spiritual seed. You would believe. Right. Then later on to your point, Jimmy, he says, hey, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Mm. You fools are geeked up about Abraham. Abraham was excited about me. Right. And and Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. Well, what is that? The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. A seed is coming. As a promise. Abraham believed the promises of God to be realized in Messiah. And and th- therefore was saved. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I think again, even the story of Abraham shows us how God, in the covenant of grace, he he works in spite of people, right? <laughs> because what does Abraham immediately do? Goes to the servant. Yeah, he goes to the slave woman, and and essentially takes matters mm. into his own hands. Right. Mm. I'm too right. Old. And and that's really what these religious mm. leaders, the Pharisees, are contrasting themselves with. Mm. We're, we are not sons of the slave woman. Right. We are sons of the free woman. And Jesus says, no, you have no idea what it means to be free. Right. 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 You are slaves to your own self-salvation and self-righteousness project. Yeah. Right. And, and, Mm. and, and Jesus, again, I can make rock, I can make anything children of Abraham. Right. So it's, it's so important. I think for us again, to kind of circle back to what I said in the beginning is that when we have this covenantal framework, we see one, just how gracious God is that even in light of Abraham, who, looked forward imperfectly is still saved under that promise. Right. Yeah. And, and and also it helps us, it prevents us from looking at Abraham as the Pharisees and religious leaders did. Right. As this great pillar of he is the one we look to. Right. Where Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Abraham is a mirror right. <laughs> that ultimately points to me. Well what matters is not are you related to Abraham physically? What matters is, do you have Abraham's faith? Right. That's right. right. That's the point. And I mean, Paul, that's, that's, that's Galatians. Galatians 3. Exactly right. Those who, are, who have faith are the sons of Abraham, Galatians 3, 7. But then you also have Romans 4, where Paul says that Abraham was trusting in the one who justifies the ungodly. Mm. He's trusting in God who justifies ungodly people, which is a scandalous message that no other religion preaches. That's right. Right? That's right. And that's what, that is, is the pattern of Abraham. That is going to carry over into the the new covenant, right? Right, the, the, where the covenant of grace is established. Mm. So the the story keeps moving. It you does. have you have these unbelievable promises. Of course, um, you have a man in his nineties, a woman in her nineties, 
a barren, they have no children, and the most unbelievable promise, he's going to bless all the nations of the world, and they're going to have a a nation that is larger than the sands of the sea. Right. And Abraham's hearing all this going, you're nuts. You're going to do that through me? I mean, his wife laughs. I mean, it's, it's it's a wonderful story of the mercy and grace of God using incapable messed up. I mean, Broken Abraham vessels. was not a moral man. Let's just no. put it that way. No. He he lied a lot. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, it's wild. It's God says Abraham a nation's going to come from you and the purpose of that nation is that it will produce a seed that will bless the nations. That's right. That's right. Plural. The purpose of is of Abraham's nation was to produce the seed and and exactly and the people in standing the Pharisees standing before Jesus they, they they totally didn't get that they thought oh no the blessings come through being a part of Abraham he's like no the blessing comes from the seed of Abraham right. so now you have the now you have the question of okay what's God doing with this nation now? right right so right. they move into Egypt through Joseph which is a beautiful statement from Joseph you yeah. meant this for evil yeah God meant this for yeah. good meaning yeah. that God is in, Following his plan, his will, right? Yeah, famine in the land. Yep. Right. And and Jacob moves his family yep. into Egypt. Yep. Uh, Israel, as they become known. Well, Jacob is renamed Israel. Jacob is renamed right. Israel. And they the Jacob's family becomes known as the nation of Israel. The book of Exodus says they grow great in number. Egypt is threatened. Yes. And they become enslaved right. by Pharaoh. They become enslaved by the people of Egypt. Right. And so what does God do? Well, he raises up Moses. Another who, failure. Another, well, <laughs> right. Who, who also is a shadow. Yep, a and prophet. A type. He's a prophet. Exactly right. Right. He, he is a mouthpiece of God. He goes and he mediates, quote unquote, mm-hmm. He's on behalf a of his people. And he goes and, and really the book of Exodus is echoed all throughout Scripture. Absolutely. Yeah, the greatest work of redemption before the cross, without question, is the Exodus. Right, right. And, and as you read through the Old Testament, frequently, particularly in the Psalms, yes, w- what do the song leaders and the writers of the Psalms constantly point back to? The Exodus. They point back. I mean, the Psalms are the contemporary Christian music of their day. Yeah, they are. Right, they, as and, we sing of the cross right. on Sunday mornings, and the, the constant, the shadow of being in, the enslavement. Yes. yes, and then what do you? What do they celebrate? And we continue to celebrate the, the the shadow of it as well. The Passover, yep. right? It's it right. becomes part of their culture that that the blood being put over the doorpost. Yeah. They didn't fully understand. I mean, do you right. think they even remotely but, fully yeah, there's, understood? There's there's the blood of a lamb that God looks at and sees it and passes over us. Yeah. We are saved, and those who are not covered by that blood are are killed. Right. Yeah. What a glory! But at the moment. They didn't want to, they wanted to be out of Egypt and they didn't want to die. So they obeyed, right? Yeah. But as the New Testament writers go back and explain that, they're using this glorious shadow saying that was pointing to Jesus, sure. whom God passes over our sins because right. of the blood of Jesus, right? right? He's the I mean, Lamb of God and takes away the sin of the world. Abraham and Isaac up on the mountain. It's the one yeah. of glorious shadow that we kind of over, you know, look right past. Yeah. So as the story progresses, as the Bible progresses, Ultimately, Moses leads God's people out of Egypt, uh, as as we know from the well-known Bible story, parts the Red Sea, they walk through, which is later referenced in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And Another type. Uh, yep, another yeah. type, another shadow. shadow. 
they pass <laughs> a through a big one, a huge one. I know JP's freaking out. Right I'm now. freak. I'm wigging out. Yeah. Go ahead. They Jimmy. they yeah. pass through the Red Sea. Um, the unbelievers, if you will, are drowned in the waters of judgment. Right. And and then what we see is Israel, after they get tired of of wandering, not having bread, they want to return to slavery. They want to go back to Egypt. They wander, right? They wander throughout the desert. And uh, John, do you yeah, want just to project in? real quick. What we don't realize is, four hundred years. They don't have a Bible. They don't have a system. They have passed down verbally the promises that, hey, listen, your father is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Exactly. And there was a promise given of a land. We're not in there yet. Right. We're supposed to be a great nation. That right. you know, we're big now. But these people have had four hundred years of paganism. Yeah. Right. I mean, what what do they do the moment Moses goes up on the mountain? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting well, to. They get they get to Mount Sinai. Right. Where and this is where Moses goes to meet with the Lord. And this is where we really begin to understand and see another step further in revealing yes. this covenant of grace in the Mosaic covenant covenant. Not to say that the Mosaic covenant is no. the covenant of grace. That is not what we're saying to right. be no. precise. No, you're but right. the Mosaic yeah. covenant, guys, let's let's maybe yeah. break that down a little sure. bit and explain it. Sure. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, so God, through Moses, gives the law. Right. Uh, and so this nation is being made. The people that he promised to Abraham is becoming a reality. And so now God is going to get, make another covenant with them. He is going to tell them essentially how they are to live. Mm-hmm. And he says, if you live this way, then you will be blessed. Yeah. It is a theocratic nation. Yes. And if you violate these things, there are curses. You need to that, explain that. What yeah, do you mean by theocratic? Yeah, a theocracy. God is at the head. Right. God actually, which is the only nation that God has ever led, yeah, is, right. which is Israel. Yeah. Right. Right. So God gives the law. God gives the law. And he says, if you do these things, then you will, you will prosper. You will live long in the land. If you fail to do these things and you violate these laws, then you will be cursed and mm-hmm. judgment will, you will face judgment from me. And it's important, like you said, we do not understand the Mosaic Covenant to be the covenant of grace. If anything, like we said earlier, we understand that the Mosaic Covenant, in one sense, is almost a type of a covenant of works. It's conditioned right. upon the obedience it's, of the people. There's conditions. Yes. Right. There are conditions to be met. Right. But then what does, what does the Mosaic Covenant do in helping us better understand the covenant of grace? Well, it, it makes God's requirements clear. This is yes. what God requires for righteousness. Yes. And, okay, it, it helps us understand However we are going to be saved, there must come one. This, this seed is going to need to come and do all of this in order that we might be counted righteous before yeah. the Lord. Right, and this is, this is where you see the Apostle Paul write extensively in places like Galatians and Romans about the law, right? And, and, and Moses often is, is seen as the representative of the law. Yes. Where Paul writes, the law came, and what does it do? It reveals the trespass. It increases it. He yeah, exactly too. right. Yeah. The, the law increases the trespass. I always like to share right. the example like this. When you go to a, a hotel and there's a sign there that says, don't splash in the pool, what is your first gut reaction? <laughs> Most likely, it is to splash in the pool because that law there increases the trespass. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and it also, it helps you understand, like to initially, if you if that were not posted, you would splash in the pool and think, well, that's not a big that's, deal. That, that's not fine. wrong. But then when that's posted, it's like, oh, no, now I've broken something. Yeah. Right. And it's a challenge. Right. And this, again, <laughs> yeah. is a good example of how the New Testament will come and further explain. Because when originally when God gave the law 
to Moses. It was to do things. It was to govern them in the land. Yes. And so that they could have peace and protection and blessing from God. There is a gracious part of the Mosaic law. There's gracious provision. But it's right. not the covenant of grace. And that gracious provision is this, is that they God set up, uh, he knew they would fail the law. Right. And because of that, he set up the sacrificial system yes. by which their uh, failure to the law could be covered, but it was always a temporary covering, yeah. which is Again, what do we keep talking about? It's always moving us along farther and farther down. So the sacrificial system becomes a shadow. It becomes a type type of Christ. Right. Right? Right. It's like, okay, we have violated God's law. We are guilty. We stand condemned. And now atonement must be made. Blood must be shed. Whoever the sacrifice is must be perfect, right? So that we then are clean. Right. So God is teaching his people through even those gracious provisions, the gracious provision of the sacrificial system, he's giving them law and then he's giving them teaching on atonement and right. how they can be made clean. Yeah. It's right. just, again, like you said, brother, it's advancing us down the field right. where we have a better understanding of how we're going to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what's mind-boggling as we think about this is as we're marching through the Old Testament as quickly as we are, we have to realize that God teaches his people through the course of generations, yeah. generations, centuries, e- exactly right, right. Like great, great, great grandfathers are learning this and teaching it to their grandchildren and teaching it to their children and their exactly. children, right? That that there is such an anticipation that God is building to the coming of His Son, the seed of Eve, right. who will be established from this nation. Right. Very quick interjection. If yeah. anybody's questioning, even how we're thinking about the covenant with Moses and the law and the sacrificial system, just pick up the book of Hebrews and read it. Exactly right. right. Hebrews I, three. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, it, it, the entire book, but yes, I mean, maybe pointedly Hebrews three, but the entire book, it, the writer to the Hebrews ma- helps us make these connections. That's yes. right. That's right. So uh, one of the ways in which we're going to get into in our next session, one of the ways that the law ends up being used is that how do we know we have the right seed? And you had made quick reference to this and I want to go back to it. The Mosaic law becomes for us a fuller or another way of explaining the covenant of works. Exactly. Because you have you have Adam failing the work that was given him. Mm-hmm. You have the law, initial purpose of the law, which was to establish blessings mm-hmm. and um to, to govern, to govern them the people govern them in the, the land. land that they would, yeah. But then Jesus comes and he says the most amazing statement. They're all thinking, oh, great, the king is here, mm-hmm. and he's going to get rid of the law. And he says, yeah. oh, I haven't come to get rid of to it abolish or abolish it. it. What does he say? Come to it, fulfill it. When you hear Paul say the first Adam failed mm. and the second Adam succeed, mm. that's what Jesus exactly. is saying, yeah. right? Amen. He is coming, and I mean, Jesus, uh, um, <laughs> Jesus, Jimmy says, in the last episode, in the last session, when Christ is up on the cross and mm. when he says, it is finished, mm-hmm. that's in, that's what he's referencing. So you have, again, what's so fun about the Old Testament is that everything is this, you get a little bit more puzzle pieces. You get a little bit more puzzle. It's not all fully there. And there's, in my mind, you know how like if, if, a, if a guy's casting a, um, a fishing pole and like the line, you can't see where the line's going. That's kind of what happened with the law. The law was thrown out, and there's like a connection that's going to happen when Christ shows up on the scene, but we don't have that yet. So what we have to understand is there's the original revelation of what's going on, and there's always this line, this promise that's coming. 
So let's back up and make the connection so that we can keep moving on with this. You have the promise, the conditional promises given to uh, Abraham. Mm-hmm. It's now being fuller. It's have a. It's having a fuller revelation. Yep. Right. It's being yep. realized in in the t- in the days of Moses. Yep. Right. And but even in the passing of Moses with Joshua, mm-hmm. who right. is instructed right. to go into the promised land. Right. Yeah. But all of these types and shadows that are established in mm-hmm. Mos- in the mosaic, the prophets are going to start just sure. pulling these things apart. Yeah. They are. I mean, even a cool just thinking types and shadows that, that I don't think is insignificant with Moses and Joshua. Moses, who represents the law, yeah, is not the one who will take the people into the promised land. Right. But Yeshua yeah. is raised up. Preach it. To take the people into Joshua, the land. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Right? Because who who will be the savior? Yeah. Yeah. Yeshua. Jesus. Yeah. It's you can't make this stuff up. It's like God wrote it. Right. And we're not trying to. I know sometimes there's a confusion with covenant theology, and people say that you guys um spiritualize the text. And we're trying to be very careful to show you that we're not trying to make spiritual connections. We're going to the New Testament and helping you see how they then interpreted this unfolding narrative, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So guys, are we ready to move on kind of to that next moment? Well, and we're kind of getting there, right? Right. So what we right. see is, is what we have in Exodus, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We see the story of Israel come to be a nation, mm-hmm. right? And, and frankly, what happens is we see Moses disobeys. We don't have to get into the details about that. Moses disobeys. He does not lead his people into the promised land, but mm-hmm. Joshua rises up, mm-hmm. and that's where we, we begin to see uh, the people of Israel. They begin to take over the promised land. Right. We have the book of Judges, where yeah. what we begin to see, and this is setting up where we're going next, is there becomes a cry for the people of Israel to mm-hmm. have a leader. Mm-hmm. Somebody lead us, Yeah. right? And, and I don't think that those cries are insignificant because you have to think you have to think that in the minds of these people who have been taught for generations, in their minds, they're saying, look, we have been told that somebody is going to come, unite these people, and, and, and quit this mess, mm-hmm. right? Because the people of Israel are now in the promised land. But what do we see? Neighboring nations are coming. They're creeping in. They're defiling them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's some pretty bad things going on. Yeah. And, and the people begin to cry out, wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. We were promised that somebody was going to come mm-hmm. and get rid of all this mess. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I think, kind of setting us up to where we're about to go. Right. Yeah, yeah so this brings us to beginning, especially in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, where not only the prophet Samuel shows up on the scene, but there is a demand on the part of the people for a king. Now, initially— But they, not just any king. Right. King like the other nations. That's right. And initially, they, they demand a king of, of their own making in Saul— but Saul is not the one that matters. They chose us tall, handsome, they and they're then mind, powerful men. Samuel powerful. finds the anointed one. That's right. Named David. The and runt then, of the litter, apparently. The, and <laughs> the then, forgotten one. And That's then right. God, God makes a covenant with David, which is where we are now. Right. So David's throne is established. He's a, he's a man after God's own heart. You know, he is fallible. He makes tons of mistakes. But he is a type of the king who will come. He is a type of Jesus, but his rule is established, his throne is established, his kingdom is established, and God then in 2 Samuel chapter 7, most pointedly, makes a covenant with him. And he says that somebody from from your line will sit on the throne, and 
he is responsible to obey my law. Sit on the throne eternally. Eternally. Right. If the he eternal obeys throne. my law. Right. If he disobeys, I will discipline him. I will chastise him. Right. And it becomes quite clear now, the big thing with the, the Davidic covenant, it is conditional upon the king's obedience. Yep. And it becomes quite clear now that the one who's coming is going to be a son of David. He's going to be a king, and he will represent the nation before God, right? So as the king goes, the nation goes. Yeah, and I'm glad that you said that because this is really setting us up for the history books of the Old Testament. Mm. Exactly. The kings, Samuel. Chronicles, Chronicles right. right? And, and even into the major and minor prophets, that this is where the story really begins to kind of I'm going to say collapse in on itself, but I don't mean it in the way you're thinking. Right. Where essentially it becomes like this interwoven story told from different angles and through the mouths and minds of different prophets. That exactly as you said, JP, as goes the heart of the king, so goes the heart of the nation. Well, where does that leave us in the Old Testament? Not that in a great ultim- place. Ultimately, what we see is God punishes the nation based off or, or rewards the nation right. based off of what? The merits of, of the king. The king. king. Yeah. Right. It's Solomon thinks it's him at one moment. Exactly. Sure. And then there's a clarification that says, no, perfectly mm-hmm. obeys the yeah. law. So you see the initial explanation of the law in Moses, and now you're seeing a further explanation. And all of this, you have to understand that every single one of these covenants is pushing us toward the covenant of grace. Exactly. All of them are promising and the revealing. So you have now now the people of, of Israel aren't looking to try and obey in order to get they're saying we need someone who will do this for us. Yeah. Right. And of course, what an is the story? One. Up and down, right. up and down until you get to a moment well, where there is no king. Right. Well, I was gonna say yeah. the, when the king after Solomon, because of Solomon's disobedience, the kingdom of Israel is split in two. There's the northern kingdom called Israel still capital is in Samaria. There's the southern kingdom of Judah, capital in Jerusalem. So there are now two kingdoms. None of the kings of Israel do right in the eyes of the Lord. No. None. There are some good ones in the southern kingdom, maybe most notably Josiah. Right. Yeah. Right. But what's, what's incredible is that even upon the southern kingdom, there comes God's judgment. Mm-hmm. The northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrians, but then the southern kingdom is conquered by the Babylonians, and exile is the order of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's incredible. Like we read the prophets. So Isaiah writes a lot of, of these things, but Jeremiah writes, as does Ezekiel, of the southern kingdom and the exile and all these things, oppression under Babylon. And you get words like this from Jeremiah. So everything looks lost, right? And I'm not even going to Jeremiah 31 yet. I mean, everything <laughs> looks lost, but what is it? Uh, there is a son of David who's coming, who's going to represent the nation. What's it going to be? Listen to Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you might fall out of your chair because it's like, we, I mean, I have goosebumps, guys, like sitting right. here talking about this, like this son of David's coming and the Lord in the midst of exile, everything seems lost. He's coming. Yeah. I mean, even just to, to add to that, the prophet Isaiah says that from Jesse is yeah. coming. And then he describes yeah. what he brings and it's restoration in the land. Right. I mean, at the end of it. And Jesse being right. David's father. Exactly. Right. David's father. Yeah. Right. Right, so you're having these prophecies, and then at the end of it, he's describing what this what this uh, king is going to bring, 
And at the end of it, I, I get chills every time I read this, but it says um, in verse uh, verse 11, it says, they shall not hurt or destroy, talking about these the, the, the mountain. And at the very end of it, he says this, and his, the king's, resting place shall be glorious. Amen. All of this turmoil, the, the, the people of Israel are now feeling this. They don't live in a resting land. And it's definitely, Canaan is not glorious in yeah. any way, shape, yeah. or form. Mm-hmm. Well, and even, so to kind of pick back up on the egg, on the exile idea, that what you have is a, a groaning, groaning people who are in Babylon, and we get Daniel, right? Mm. Dare to be Daniel. Here we go. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. And, and, but what, is Daniel, what does Daniel do? He interprets dreams to, mm. to leaders. And one of the fantastic dreams is the kingdoms of the earth, the kingdoms so of the earth who, who mock and they, they spit and they, they destroy and they, they thieve and they steal, right? And this is where Psalm 1 and 2 kind of comes into view, yeah. where you have the blessed man mm-hmm. who does not take counsel with scoffers, mm-hmm. but walks in the way of the righteous. Yeah. And then Psalm 2, what does it say? Why do the nations rage? Yeah. And, and, and in part of the dreams that Daniel interprets, what we see is that one is coming whose kingdom will destroy yeah. all other kingdoms. Yeah. All other kingdoms will bow down to his, right? And he mm-hmm. will bless the nations. Why do the nations rage? That's right. right? I mean, and who is this talking about? That's right. Well, this is talking about what was promised to Eve, mm. what was promised to Abraham, what we see, what we long for with Moses, who is promised in David, mm-hmm. who is longed for throughout Joshua, yeah. Judges, and, and the, the history prophets. of the kings, who the prophets, yep. who, who looked forward and saw dimly mm. that ultimately what we get mm. is all of these promises. And we, we've got three pretty good concrete, I call them like ellipsis, like the dot, dot, dot <laughs> of the Old Testament. Right. So. Bring us there, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a well, number of places we could go. Right. And before we do, I think it's just to help clarify some of our position. We, we believe that God fulfilled those promises. Right. Absolutely. The promises to Abraham, they're yep. in the land, the yes. nations is established. Yes. Um, you, kings you, did come from his kings line. Kings did come. I mean, you just see that every promise that God made, his condition side, yeah. He never once failed. And the it, nation got all that stuff, and some individuals were cut. Right, and certain true. stories in the Bible, you see, the nation gets down to one person, you know, and God preserves this, and the, the and the promise of the seed continues to go down. So it, it it on top of this covenantal language, it is an amazing ride to see how much Israel tried to destroy, even inter- interwoving themselves into other nations when God tells them they need to be pure, and God continues uh, to preserve it. I'll, I'll, we can go to the very end of right before there's going to be 400 years of yeah. silence, right? You're not going to hear any more from the prophets. You're not hearing any more um, from, from God. And the last thing that Malachi is going to say before Luke shows or the angels show up on the scene in Luke, he tells him to remember one thing. And what he tells him to remember is, remember the law of Moses. Why? Well, Jesus even says, the law and the prophets wrote of me. Mm -hmm. So Malachi is saying, don't forget this because this is where the Messiah is coming. But I would interpret that to say, you have seen all of these promises of of the grace that's to come. Don't forget this. Yeah. Yeah, and and this is where we get right. If if you as you travel to the end of the Old Testament, 
it's easy to be depressed because it is a hot mess. <laughs> God's people, like you thought, you thought slavery in Egypt was bad. Hmm. What what the Old Testament reveals is, man, physical slavery has nothing on spiritual slavery, hmm. and that is where God's people are. That their heart, their hearts are hearts of stone. And so many of you probably know where I'm going. Where this is where Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one who weeps over the exile of God's people. This is what ultimately Jeremiah promises that we hang on to so dearly, where Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like, right? We see contrasting language. There is distinction. Exactly right. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand Mm -hmm. to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, that I will do what? I will put my law within them. Mm. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For what? They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I mean, that is a Amen, great bro. ellipsis moment that probably very few people listen to <laughs> for Jeremiah, poor Jeremiah, right? He had the worst job, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he did. Yeah. Being a prophet in the Old Testament was not awesome. Right. No. Right. It was terrible. Right. So now we'll go and actually read Malachi yeah. chapter 4. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to read just a couple of verses. It says, uh, verse 4, Remember the law of Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Arab for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Now, mm. what, what does that actually mean? We learn, I mean, he, it's, it's a reference to someone. Who is it? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Yeah. And then verse 6. Right. He says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. That's the how hearts the book of the people, ends. But the hearts of the people will turn. That's right. Yeah. Right? And That's then right. we get 400 years of silence. Right. Yeah. And, then so, and then finally, an angel shows up on the scene <laughs> and talks to this woman named Mary. And he says this about the child that is going to be conceived in her by the Holy Spirit, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And when that child is born and presented in the temple, there's a man named Simeon who sees him and says, I can die yeah. because I have seen the salvation of the Lord. Yeah. So that's where we are. And that's where we move on. And that's where we'll pick up. (laughs) If you thought that was a wild ride, this next one, I don't even know how we're going to get it within 45 minutes, but we're going to do our best. (laughs) We will try. That's right. Technically, at this moment, not that you care, we're going to eat dinner.